I'm Dave Monaco, the Allen Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In these days of uncertainty and challenge in the midst of the pandemic, we have seen elected officials in national, state, and local capacities play an increasingly visible leadership role. As such, we are excited to visit with one such leader on today's podcast. Indeed, we are honored to welcome the 33rd Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi, the Honorable Delbert Hoseman, to the From My Angle podcast. Before winning election as Lieutenant Governor in November 2019, Mr. Hoseman served three terms as Mississippi's Secretary of State. Now, there are many reasons to welcome Lieutenant Governor Hoseman to the podcast. For one, he is a committed public servant. During his career as an acclaimed businessman and tax attorney and then elected official, he has championed a wide range of causes such as the American Red Cross, public education, and health insurance for children with autism and other developmental disorders. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman lives out the parish tenant of service. Secondly, in these days of the pandemic, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman is the point person for the state of Mississippi's remote learning program. As such, he understands the challenges we at parish have faced as educators, students, and parents as our normal school experience has been upended. He also, though, will help us recognize our blessings as among the societal fissures the pandemic has amplified is the issue of educational equity. We are blessed with resources in the parish community, access to ample internet connectivity, for example, that more rural communities in states across our country are not. Mr. Hoseman's efforts to bridge these access gaps are most admirable and interesting. Finally, and most importantly, the Lieutenant Governor is part of the parish family. By now, you might be wondering how it came to pass that a rube like me could find his way onto the busy calendar of a distinguished elected official, during a global pandemic, no less. Well, it does help to know people. People like parish students Nora and Grace Toomey. You see, the Honorable Lieutenant Governor Hoseman is also the beloved grandfather of Nora and Grace and father of Kristen Toomey, one of the most talented and dedicated servant leaders in our parish parent community. So please, enjoy this conversation with Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. Well, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, welcome to the From Angle podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule in the great state of Mississippi to spend a, a few minutes with us. We'll get into uh, how it was that a rube like me was able to track down a busy man like you, uh, but we are we are so grateful for your time. Uh, I'm happy to. We're, we're sheltered in place in Mississippi, and I'm sheltered in place in Mississippi's capital, which is a beautiful structure, uh, one, of the be- one of the most beautiful ones in the country. Uh, course model after the United States Capitol and I'm on the Senate side and there are about three or four of us in here in a guard and that's all for, for about a five-story building in here so, so I've kind of felt the same way over the last month at one of our two campuses I'm at the campus of our uh, our, our Hillcrest campus where the where the little ones uh, attend just checking in on things and uh, find it a, a little bit easier place to get my head clear and try to work on the challenges that we're facing as I know you are so for a man of your stature and accomplishment, there are many ways you could identify and introduce yourself. So I know you spent lots of time in front of audiences having to tell them who you are, but how are you most comfortable telling our listeners who Delbert Hoseman is? 
Well, uh, I guess my real claim to fame is that I'm uh, Grace and Nora Lynn's grandfather. And so uh, most people know me as, uh, as Dees, D-E-E-S. Well, I tell you, most of the people in Dallas knows me as Dees because uh, Grace and Nora Lynn are, 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 uh, go to your school and go to parish. And so um, I think that's probably the best way I'm known in Dallas. Over here, I'm known as Delbert. Uh, I've never subscribed to the governor stuff. Um, I still, most everybody just calls me Delbert. And I think... You can really get uh, you can really get hampered by uh, official titles. I, I remember what George Bush the first uh, after he was finished being president and went home. I, I remember what his wife, who I just dearly love them both, said to him: "Don't forget to take out the garbage." So uh, these are all transitory positions. We come and work here. I, I was Secretary of State for twelve years, and now got hired to be Lieutenant Governor for the next four years, and it's a very diff different position in Mississippi than it is in other states. We'll talk about that somewhere. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm pleased to be in that position. Um, grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and right at the foot of the Delta, and went off to Notre Dame, and I was so pleased to see Melanie Gonzalez got into Notre Dame from your, from your school. How about that? Awesome. Just, uh, I read all the, about Brightbridge and how she got in and whatnot. I'm so excited for her. I, I saw her picture with the University of Notre Dame shirt on, and her, uh, her life uh, will be great. You know, over 22,000 people applied for the 2,000 spots that she's one of. The 22,000 were all top-of-the-line graduates. No, no, Nobody got in there with a C average. <laughs> no, she's a, she's a fantastic young lady and uh, will join you in the ranks. I'm sure a proud, uh, proud Notre Dame alum down the, down the line. And we, we love having your two of your seven grandchildren here. Have you had much time over the years to, to drop by parish and, and, uh, and, and see our campuses and, and visit during Grandparents' Day or other events or ser uh, services? I have. I've been many times. Uh, very impressed. Very unusual building, as you know. But yeah, many times I was impressed. I was there for graduation, for Grace's graduation, and I looked around. Um, I looked around the stage there, and and everybody who was speaking, the young men and women, and all the parents that were there. And I thought it came to me that this is the way schools ought to be. That you've got involved parents who are so excited about their children. Uh, I'm sure they all think they can run the school better than you can, Dave. I'm, I'm sure that's probably the case. You, you have your challenges. But to have, yeah, have, we all have our voters, don't we? We do. We do. <laughs> so, um, but I just was very impressed with the facility. And, of course, the education has been great. Christians love being working there on, on your parent board and all that other. Uh, I just thought the school was very well done. And I was particularly impressed with the kids and their parents when I was been there a number of different times. Well, well, thank you, and we're honored to have you, and hope you hope you'll come back. You, you mentioned your recent job transition. I must congratulate you for your impeccable sense of timing, taking a, taking a new job, and then six months later having a global pandemic befall us. And so it, it was uh, probably something that you didn't face, uh, I didn't expect to face as you took as you took office, but. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the, the the role of lieutenant governor, and before we get into the pandemic and the challenges that it's posed, especially in the area of education, uh, I, maybe as a basic civics civics lesson, 
summarize some of the non-pandemic responsibilities that fall to you as Lieutenant Governor. Yes, in, in Mississippi, in, in many instances, people have said that the Lieutenant Governor is the most powerful position in the state. This evolves from the uh, Constitution of 1890, uh, when Mississippi redid its Constitution 130 years ago, they, they were very leery of the executive branch. And so they, the legislature maintained most of the power. And they left one office that was both legislative and statewide, and that's the lieutenant governor. As lieutenant governor, I am the president of the Senate, which means that I, I, I control where all the bills go. I name all the chairman. I work on the budget. Um, you know, no bill comes all the way out to a committee and, unless we sign off on it. So it, it becomes a very powerful role for both uh, economics and, and, the, and, the le and the legal legislative work that we do. It's not the same in other places. We don't run on a ticket, for example. I, I'm all, my own person. Uh, a more perfunctory lieutenant governors. But in my case, we have a, a strong amount of authority in Mississippi to get things done. Yeah, so you mentioned these differences between lieutenant governor roles in other states. In general, are the 50 lieutenant governor positions all quite unique, or are more of the lieutenant governor positions in other states similar, and Mississippi just stands alone as distinct and unique? Mississippi is unique because we don't run on a ticket, so we, we have individual things. I'm in the executive and the legislative branch. The amount of control and power that I have in the Senate is very rare. Some states don't even have a lieutenant governor, like Arizona doesn't have one, and Oregon doesn't have one. They, the next person in line is the Secretary of State. Okay. Some of these uh, um, uh, in, individuals have more perfunctory jobs and not really anything, um, and they complain about it all the time when we have lieutenant governor meetings about what they can do and what they can't do. Ours, ours happens to be different. I think it is unique, actually, in our, in our state. That's very interesting. So your predecessor as Lieutenant Governor, Tate Reeves, became the state's governor during the same election cycle. How, how closely do the Lieutenant Governor and Governor typically work in your state? Is it akin to a president and vice president or, or quite different? It really depends on the people. I think it's quite different in our case. Mm -hmm. um, the governor has been, um, we don't meet with him very often here. He's been uh, on the pandemic road a lot. Mm -hmm. We have been on the economics, business recovery, uh, those kinds of issues, um, indemnity for healthcare workers, going on, and we really operate almost totally separately. Mm -hmm. Other places, like I was on the phone with Dan Patrick the other day from Texas, and other ones have different working relationships. Some some governors and lieutenant governors have split the authorities where the lieutenant governor is handling. Oh, uh, unemployment claims, for example, which are skyrocketing in the country, uh, those kinds of things. But in our case, we, we really don't do that. We operate just separately. Yeah, that, which, is, uh, which is interesting and, and very, uh, uh, very telling is uh, the visibility of governors and lieutenant governors and mayors have really risen to the fore during this, this, this time period. So in talking generally about the pandemic, all the guests that I've had on in the last month, parents and some of our students and especially, I've just asked them, you know, to try to place the pandemic in the context of their lifetime. You know, for an 18-year-old, the pandemic in their lifetime is a distinctly different experience than for me as a 53-year-old. You know, I, I, I've told 
um, the guests that I've been visiting with on the pan, on the on the podcast, you know, in 53 years, I haven't lived through world wars, I haven't lived through great depressions, <laughs> you know, I've, I've I've lived through 9/11, uh, but really for me, the pandemic stands as the as the first real uh, trial of significance. Um, how do you place it as you look across your lifetime? How are you processing it? Couple two or three words that when you think of the pandemic have risen to your to your mind, given the context of your life. Well, I guess maybe the first two that come to mind, Dave, are, is uh, life-changing. Hmm. I don't know that our country will get back during my lifetime or, or, or maybe during your students' lifetimes to the way we were. I know that was an old song that yeah. was very popular uh, back in the good old But I, I will tell you that uh, the social interaction will change, I think. Yeah. I think... Uh, our, our, we, we had just almost uh, convinced ourselves that a worldwide economy was the only way this was going forward. Now uh, there'll be provincialism that will come in here and we, we don't wanna, want it where we can't get a mask to go get our groceries. I mean, that's unacceptable to, to Mississippians and to Americans. You'll see us, um, I've become a, we're putting a warehouse in effect in which we're gonna maintain 31 days uh, PPE uh, mm -hmm. for for all of our healthcare workers and our first responders because we don't ever want to be uh, at the women caprice of some air, air bridge to get things here. I think you'll see that occur. I think you'll see our our economy will will suffer uh, initially, but what we're looking at is where we go out a year from now, and some of that has to do with education. All of our teachers now are doing distance education. And we're finding fault, faults in those. I, I know um, your school has been one of the leaders in that, but I have, um, I have schools in Mississippi where 30% of my kids don't have access to the internet or, or, or a piece of technology to get them there, an iPad or a Chromebook. Mm -hmm. So we, we are going to struggle. I've, I've discovered in the, in the latest CARES Act that there is a provision for utilization of the um, of the CARES funds for distance learning. So what I wanna do here in Mississippi is push out to all of my schools, particularly those that, that have suffered with uh, a proposal to have them broadband, have them have broadband at the school, and also to make sure that every student in, in Mississippi, we have about 350,000 in Mississippi. Every one of those students has access to the capabilities of a, of, of a Chromebook or Apple or whatever, iPad, that's, that's going to be imperative. I, I also think that distance learning is not the answer. Now, I, I will tell you that every day, and today I'll have at least two classes that I'll go to around Mississippi and I'll zoom in. And I, I talk to them about where we are. Now, sometimes I'll take them for a tour of the Senate, which is just out my back door here. And we'll visit depending on their ages and whatnot. And um, I've started asking them, what do you think about this? They've been, they've been at about a month. What do the kids think about this? Somewhere between 60 and 70% would prefer to be in school. Uh, and about another 20% would like probably some variation where it's part, um, part uh, IT and part school. And then about 10, only about 10% said they like this better. So this, this distance learning that we're doing now 
will end up being uh, a supplement to the normal education process, in my view, where we will have kids, and in Mississippi, we may have kids from 6 to 12 and kids from 1 to 5. We may have actually, to, in order to social distance, we may split all of our classes. Instead of having 24 in a class, we may have 12. Mm -hmm. uh, your classes may be smaller, but here in Mississippi, they're, they average about 24. So you may see them taking their core curriculum, their math and science and whatnot, and then taking their specialty courses on. Mm -hmm. Some course that was uh, not in the standard testing process. Right. I think all of these things are huge changes. Uh, the ability for us to be political. I, I went out virtually every day, I'd go somewhere. I mean, I'd go out to a school, I'd go to a factory, I'd go out to them and I'd shake in, how are you doing? I always ask the same question. How's it going? How can we help you? Yeah. You know, I can't do that now. Uh, and it was a source of great information for me. And uh, plus I just enjoyed it. I guess people enjoy that kind of stuff, but I did. And I felt I learned so much. Now I'm cloistered just like you are in the capital of the state of Mississippi with three people. Well, they don't represent the, the three million other people I represent. So I, I'm very much, it's very difficult. We'll see this playing out in the presidential election. How are you going to run a presidential? How are you going to have a convention? We postponed the convention, the Republican convention here in Mississippi because we couldn't get together. And in fact, our legislature will only come back May the 18th now. We just announced it yesterday. Wow. This is, a, this is a really life-changing, life-altering process of going through, and it will not be over in May. Different than anything you've really seen in your lifetime. Or anyone has seen since 1927. Yeah. I don't really know if anybody that's really still alive, very few people would still be alive that have ever recalled something like that. You'd have to be 15 or 20 years old in 1927 to have seen that, which would make you, you know, yeah. Yeah. a little old right now. I, so, I, I don't know... Uh, how this will affect the economy. The, the, I'm, I'm very worried about the continued use, utilization of just dumping cash in here and worrying about inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I think we need to protect for. We have had a no Dave, as this is matriculated through, and two of them have come up here in Mississippi. Uh, one, uh, they wouldn't allow a church service in a, in a town in the Delta, Mississippi Delta. Of course, that's one of our basic rights. The freedom of religion is one of our basic rights. Another in the town of Jackson here, they prohibited guns, uh, which is also a, a, a constitutional right. And whatever you think about guns and religion, it's, it's part of the Constitution. And you see, at a time like this, I had one of the students on our Zoom ask me, they said, uh, how many constitutional rights do we have to give up because it's a pandemic? And I thought that is so interesting. And my answer to him was, I hope none. But uh, where we are, when we have these edge things occur where we've never been before, there are places that will nibble on our constitutional rights. And, and we have to be so careful. For example, testing is another one. Mm -hmm. I talked about with uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick the other day. Testing is a key in order for us to know whether you had it or don't have it. But it's not a precursor. You may have had it before you can get it again. You may not have it today and you'll have it tomorrow. So it is not a precursor to opening up the economy. The other part of that is who gets all those medical records? Where do those go? We had HIPAA before that restricted our, 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 your access to certain ones. 
but do you get a green card to go to the Texas football game? Or can you go to SMU if you've been if you've got a card? If you don't have a card, can you get in? Mm. Do you vote if you've got a card? If you don't vote, do you vote absentee? Mm. Uh, you get you start seeing where as we go forward. And I, I want to pay particular attention that the that our constitutional rights get protected on, on for every single one, voting or whatever. It happens to be the right to religion, whatever we have. Yeah, those are some really fundamental and excellent and provocative questions that you that you pose there that I think support your notion of how uh, dramatic and life-changing and unique this event is. You also managed the Katrina hurricane response, you, you know, for the state. And so I think you've enumerated, uh, articulated some of the differences in managing those two crises. Are there any similarities between uh, crises like Katrina and what you're seeing statewide with the pandemic? Or again, is the pandemic so unique as to be incomparable? The pandemic is a hazy, smoky, um, I'd say a hazy, smoky, critical event. Mm. Katrina was a one-day event in which we looked, and I drove trucks down there with food and baby supplies and stuff. And, uh, you know, you pick up one stick and you move it here, you pick up one brick and you start putting it on top of another. There was a, a, a beginning to the recovery and, and a gradual end over a period of time as people came back and jobs opened back up and you took first thing was to get your electricity in the first. Mm. So we had a roadmap going forward in our, in our Katrina uh, disaster. This one, we have no roadmap. And it seems to continue to be hazy. Like just today, we, we had an, a spike in the increase of tests that tested positive. Um, here, we've had about a little over 200 deaths in about 5,000 cases. We also have tested oh, almost 60,000 people. We're a very high testing state in most of our population. But there seems to be no end here. There's no cure here. There's no answer here. Everything seems to be on hold while food, um, getting work done, uh, re restarting the economy. So I think the haziness of this is so different from Katrina. The day after Katrina, day was bright, blue, beautiful day. And everybody could see the devastation, and we knew we had our work cut out for us. Here, we don't know what tomorrow looks like, or the day after the day after. Yeah. We're, we're planning for it to come back in the fall. Yeah. As I said um, to many of our people today, in the last few days, we need to pray it, uh, plan for it not to come back and pray that it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm, very, I'm very concerned that this will be the longest uh, devastation we've had to the state and the country that we've ever had. Uh, wars had a beginning and an end. We knew who the enemy was. We knew what we had to do to win. You know, you went down all of this, but this has no end. Yeah, that's, that's, a, really in, that's a really interesting way to think about it and, and a, a, bit, a bit depressing, but it is really true. And I felt that same haze and ambiguity. And I've also, from a leader standpoint, felt that same disconnectedness that you spoke about from those that I um, are, am serving um, because, you know, we are human-based businesses and there are no humans here. They're all out in remote space. I know they're being served well by our um, talented faculty and, and staff, but my connection to them and those points of feedback that come from the types of conversations you were describing, the casual, informal, observational interactions that I have with them, 
I'm missing those um, too. So really appreciate your, your thoughts on that. Circling back to pandemic and education a little bit and maybe some comparison of experience, you mentioned the percentages of, uh, of, your, of your students, 60 to 70 percent, you know, would go back to school tomorrow if, if, if they could, and uh, only 10 percent would say that they prefer this distance learning that they're having. Uh, in my conversations with the kids on the podcast and in other places, you know, I think generally we've been fortunate that the educational experience has remained fairly consistent. They're seeing their teachers every day. They feel like their classes are moving at, at, at the pace that they were. It's the same subject area material. They are undoubtedly missing the social connections and that energy that comes uh, in, being in uh, being in community. What do you think is causing the 60 to 70 percent uh, uh, dissatisfaction with it? Is it just the social piece or is it because the technological challenges that you referenced are so significant that it just doesn't feel like school to them? Um, I, I, what I'm hearing is both. Uh, almost universally, I miss my classmates or some, some der derivation of that. Almost universally. Others... Um, are along the lines of when I have a problem, my teacher was able to walk to my desk and show me how to do this. And, and we're not able to do this when I have 30 kids or 10, 15 kids on a screen and we're going throwing it. So I don't necessarily raise my hand about that. And yeah. instead, if I was in class, I'd say, you know, Dave, I don't understand or yeah. whatever. And that interaction that, got, that, that is an immediacy is missing. Now, we'd li I'd like to think that they're all getting the same quality of education that they do, that they were getting beforehand, but I just don't believe that's going to be proved to be the case. As we look back on this historically, I don't know whether you got a 10% less gap with having them online versus having them in the class or 20% or whatever, but I know it's not the same to the, to the kids that I've talked to, and I've been to I'm a classes, AP history classes, uh, math classes, uh, teacher meetings, uh, all of those. And I get, I get the distinct feeling that we're making the best that we can, and it's a lot better than nothing, uh, but it is not the same. And I, I think that gap, uh, and I want to talk to you about the education gap in a second, but I think that gap is greater than we would think the longer the period goes. The more... Yeah. It's exponential. It may be 10% the first week or two. It may be 15%. And then as we fall f further behind, it may get greater as we go. In Mississippi, we're finding uh, in meeting, I met with about 20 of the superintendents in the Mississippi Delta, which is uh, uh, about 70% African-American there, uh, some very challenged schools there. And when we talked about this, they worried about the education gap because they're not, they're not having access to the technological parts of this and the broadband and, and the equipment. Mm -hmm. and their kids would fall behind. We have annual tests here that I assume that y'all have as well. Mm -hmm. And so they'd fall behind and where it really catches them is next year when they haven't been able to catch up. Yep. So we're looking at bringing them back in August the 1st instead of August the 23rd or whatever and give them a three-week makeup kind of session, but I don't know that that's the same. But what we may have in, uh, what we may have had here is for in, individuals who are not good at, at computers or don't have access, we may have created an education gap. For the top of an education gap. <laughs> yeah, because you already probably had an education gap with many of those communities to, to begin with because educational equity is such a challenge. 
uh, across our country with with a variety of rural uh, rural communities. It's just it's just been super challenging. So how have you tried to resolve some of the technological gaps that you have? You mentioned the lack of Chromebooks and, and broadband. I know uh, some districts have put uh, Wi-Fi boosters on buses. They've tried to deliver uh, computers and, and upgrade uh, internet access. What are some of the strategies that you all have been using in Mississippi with some effectiveness? We, we've had the same thing. We've had school buses sitting at the crossroads with a hotspot in it and that kind of thing. That's not a long-term answer to us. We, um, we had started a uh, program to build out broadband. Uh, I believe, if I read the Treasury report correctly for the CARES Act that just came out and signed by the President, if I read it correctly, distance learning can, can be, uh, you, uh, you can use part of this money for distance learning. What you're going to find, I think, uh, in that bill is that it, it allows you to pay for things that weren't in the budget only. That's real important because it has to be things that occurred because of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be mostly hospitals and our emergency care stuff and some ambulance services. But Mississippi got $1.25 billion for that. Well, we may not spend three or $400 million on that. So what that gives me is the opportunity to take the rest of that and aim it at broadband and distance learning mm -hmm. and, and giving, uh, Chromebooks or whatever, Apple products to, uh, I think y'all have a program with Apple up there in Texas where you can lease them for a year for $90, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, uh, which is very good, actually. So uh, in, that, in that instance, I think we'll, we'll go back to that and where I may be able to give an infusion that we would never have had a chance for. And the same thing would apply. Have to give the money back by December 31st if it's not used. Yeah. So my, mine would take this um, and make, make the positive out of this be that we expand coverage for equipment purposes and broadband throughout the state where the gaps are. And so I've started talking to Comcast and these others and also to my co-ops and energy places where I have these gaps. Yeah. And I will have a picture of Mississippi where the gaps are. And quite frankly, that's where I'm going. And that could be uh, to that notion of the kind of life-changing, dramatic uh, uh, repercussions of the pandemic. That could be one on the positive side that uh, states across the country see is the uh, amplification of these uh, gaps, especially around access to technology and perhaps public-private partnerships like the ones you're pursuing uh, will accelerate and, and, and in the future close some of those, some of those gaps somewhat. What are you hearing from your uh, from your teachers? Are they um, are they particularly exhausted and overwhelmed? I know the ones that uh, that I lead here are working ten and twelve hour days and learning new technologies and and being asked to stretch and expand in ways they were not anticipating when the school year began back in August. And uh, and I they're doing a, a fantastic job, but I know bearing a huge burden. What what are you hearing from the educators in Mississippi? Well, it's a couple of things. Um, in, in, in education classes, they must tell all teachers they've got to smile. But every, yeah. every class I'm in, the teachers smile and they're happy and they're leading and I'm just so impressed with them. And yeah. you're right about the fact that we, uh, uh, not one teacher that I know of in Mississippi out of the 30,000 we got or however many there are, not one of them anticipated being in this position uh, <laughs> in September when they signed their contracts. Yep. The other thing is I had proposed in the first Senate was a teacher pay raise. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and Mississippi would bring us up somewhere about $37,000, $38,000 to start, average probably about $50,000 a year. Uh, we desperately needed that, and then I started a pre-K program, which would fund pre-K for all, all places that did not have it in Mississippi. So we were on the, on the education bandwagon early on, and I'm, I'm so hopeful that we can continue that and, 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 and in fact, uh, accomplish that this year. What has happened, the only stock that I know of that's gone up is teachers. I mean, every mom and dad that I've talked to have all of a sudden have a real appreciation for teachers. Yeah. And when they can't teach that course and they don't understand that math and they, uh, that kid's there all day long and he's hanging around. I know it. Yeah. Well, and especially for the parents of younger children, you know, even, even in, a, in a highly successful uh, remote or distance program, uh, and, and I think ours has been as good as one could hope, uh, you know, the, the pressure points on your uh, parents of, uh, of children younger than, than Nora and Grace, but in those elementary schools is, is intense. And if they're also having to work remotely, uh, you know, they're being asked to manage so much at, at the home. And, and there's, you know, there's very little you can do uh, to create agency in a five or six or seven year old student. They just need an adult to help walk, walk them through it. And if we're sheltered in place to this degree of stringency, um, it really just makes it uh, almost impossible for the school to create a solution that helps the parents that way. So I'll be interested as the states open up a little bit. Texas is beginning tomorrow. And as you know, on, on May 1st, as the states begin to loosen up a little bit, even if we have to do some of the things you mentioned earlier in the conversation about segmenting which students come back to school and, you know, uh, uh, really looking at our at our service model next year, we might still be able to come up with some options to help working parents at home um, whose kids can't be on campus uh, to manage uh, this uh, point of transition until the vaccine comes comes around. Um, lots of lots of contingency planning for the fall, as you referenced. None of us are anticipating that we will be uh, pandemic free uh, in the next school year, and so we are spending a lot of our time now uh, and will through the summer uh, thinking about what next year is going to be looking like uh, for us. And it sounds like the um, educators in Mississippi are doing the same thing already. Yeah, I, ha I have a superintendents which run our schools here uh, conference that I, I, I keep about 19 of them are from around the state that we keep in constant contact with. They're struggling with grades and graduation right now. Um, and we I've really emphasized we need to have graduation or how you structured it if it's in the football stadium or, or drive by or whatever. But we need graduation. I, I think that's a life part of life, and certainly from an institution as your own, where it's it's uh, very meaningful to have that degree. I think you need to have graduation. So different ones are working on that. We are also exploring uh, what has been a model in Northeast Mississippi, which is year-round schools, mm -hmm. uh, nine weeks on, three weeks off. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have spent a lot of time there talking Corinth, Mississippi, which is in the northeast corner of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. More schools are looking at that now, and, and it's kind of funny. In this instance, we may have lost uh, two or three weeks here in a, in a, in a year-round school that wouldn't have made that much difference. Right. You know? And so I think it may proliferate some. We still have Christmas and sometimes off and whatnot, but the ability to for individuals to have remedial work on And then in meetings with the teachers, I, I asked them, I had 22 of them in the room, and I said, okay, what's wrong with this? 
You know, how, how come y'all are going year-round? Nobody else from Mississippi is. I don't understand. What, why? Are y'all mad about this? And they said, no, we love it. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, look, by March and April, I'm pretty much sick of these children. <laughs> and they were real honest about it. And they said, you give me nine weeks, give me three weeks off. It's like I've started all over again. And I'm all fired up. And for nine weeks, I really work hard. And I've got a couple of weeks to recharge my batteries. And then I go on. Yep. I thought that was very telling to me. Uh, the overall of this is about an extra two weeks of school. That's right. And plus you get the remedial work in a timely fashion. I think that's, that's we're going to encourage other, uh, particularly ones that would be lower or non-performing. If they're non-performing, we may require by state law that they go to year-round school. Yeah, we're up to over, uh, over 150 of our 400 plus uh, high school students who take some form of virtual uh, coursework in the summer with us. They have since uh, 2011 and it really has stretched out the school year. Uh, and I'm, I'm a proponent of, uh, of, of a model that looks a little bit more like the one that you're describing. It's just difficult in parent cultures, especially in well-resourced parents cultures like ours, where the summer is still very sanctified as a time for summer camps and travel and family time. So, you know, you're fighting really, uh, uh, in some cases, a sort of an American cultural um, uh, touchstone of those summer months. And so uh, I, I do think among the things in education that the pandemic is going to throw under the microscope, this idea of the academic calendar, the length of the school day, right, uh, the, the, the rooting of all learning at school versus some of the learning blended between different locations, I think it's going to put it uh, on a much faster track for stronger consideration uh, within this next decade. I think you'll see it uh, accelerate change uh, because of the um, significance of what this last 10 weeks of this school year has brought to us unexpectedly. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. So uh, I don't know, Lieutenant Governor, leaders are supposed to be hopeful and optimistic. Much of what we've bumped into today has been about inequity and uh, a staggering life-changing challenge uh, which is going to last uh, a while in its implication, but uh, you and I are both compelled to uh, present an uplifting picture of the future. So can you give us in uh, closure today uh, one thing uh, that gives you the greatest sense of hope or optimism as we're navigating this, this pandemic challenge? Well, uh, there, I'll give you two quick ones. One, about a month ago, um, I went out in front of the state capitol here. We have a bell that was given to every state that was a replica of the Liberty Bell. And it sits out in front of the capitol here. And I looked at that thing and it still had his clapper on it. So I rang it one time, you know, I thought this is kind of interesting. So I went to every church denomination here, Episcopal, uh, Catholic, Pentecostal, you name it, Church of God, Methodist, Presbyterian, everybody. And I asked them to start ringing their bells and everybody go to their front yard and ring their bells at six o'clock every night for healthcare workers to support them, for the sick to give them hope. And it was Easter week to, to have reverence to, to the rebirth. And it just exploded. I mean, people were in the front yards ringing bells. Uh, people hadn't been out in the front yard and seen their neighbors in forever, I think. And then all across towns, all over Mississippi, people were bells. Some bells hadn't been rung in a hundred years. Hmm. Out down here in Ring Bell, we had people come, like the head of our university medical center came, and healthcare workers were represented in different times. But uh, you'd hear the bells pealing all over downtown Jackson. 
and ringing this big giant Liberty Bell out in front. And it uplifted so many people, I think. The fact that, that the virus is not carried by sound, but we carry the hope by sound, mm. and we carry reverence by sound, and we carry support by sound. Mm. I thought that was very positive, and the fact that we participated at the level that we did just showed me that in, in the end, this is temporary, but our perseverance is per permanent. Mm. And I think that's where we'll be. Uh, you'll see us change to adapt, but you'll see us go forward and make a better place for our children. I think that's a, a great place to end. I would have echoed it. I think the, I think the, the, the power of the human spirit has been on display globally. And uh, in the end, we'll find its way through this as harrowing as, the, as harrowing as the immediate ramifications of it have been and will continue to be for a while. Uh, and I see big and small examples, as I know you do, around us every day of, of people uh, linking arms and, and helping, helping one another get through this. And I sure hope that sustains after all this is done and we get back to to, to life as we to life as we knew it and uh, i hope when we get back to life as we knew it we get the hosemans back to dallas for a visit i'll look forward to a face-to-face -face, uh chance to, to uh i don't know bump elbows or slap each other on the back or whatever we'll be allowed to do in the new reality of the future if we can shake a hand we'll shake a hand i'm looking forward to it. it's nora's uh nora lynn's 13th birthday next week and then we're hoping to get out for one every graduation year proud of what you're doing for my grandchildren and also with so many other children in, in the Texas range. And so congratulations. We appreciate what you do every day. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. Best of luck facing the challenges there to you and the citizens of Mississippi. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, I hope to share at least one more podcast with you before the year ends. This one with some of the parish faculty and staff who've led our transition to perish from a distance. So until the next time, thanks for joining me on the From My Angle podcast.